Gyrus, 300 billion people are counting on you, so don't choke. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. I'm Joe. And I'm Sam. I don't know. I feel like there's got to be more than 300 billion people in, you know, in a, in a fully functioning galaxy that has, you know, that has like figured out time, uh, not time travel, but space travel at the least. Yeah, but you only ever see our solar system, in which case you assume it's only the Earthlings, right? Well, there could billion be like, okay. yeah, that's a like lot a of Earthlings now. on like Mars at this point, but that's beyond true. that, I don't know if we could get any more. So this, yeah. it, it's weird. It's a, it's, it's a weird number. Did it say people or did it say like life forms? People, people. Oh, okay. And it is AD 2500. So, um, is that how you would say that year? If we were living in that year, just feels wrong. I think it'd be 2500. 2500, right, because we were living in the year 2000, so I thought, like, maybe you would say 2500, but I like the year 2500 better. I feel like if you were, like, in the year 1900, you'd say 1900, right? <laughs> that's what uh, we used that, to say. That's yeah. also true. That's what we yeah. used to say. <laughs> that's what we used to say. We never said we were in the year 1900. <laughs> of our Lord. We yeah, should have. Only in our Lord. This is legendary NES shmup developer Konami. Don't be fooled by that Ultra Game stuff. This was developed by Konami. And uh, the reason why I say legendary NES shmup developers, specifically because uh, a lot of their games have a great chance of being on our essential games list. Uh, Life Force, Gradius, uh, even Stinger was on there for a minute. So uh, sky's the limit, or maybe Solar System's the limit in this game uh, for what they're capable of. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I did say Gyrus at the start of this episode. We kind of joked at the end of last episode, how do you say this? I went on the arcademuseum.com to find out how to pronounce Gyrus. And basically people were saying, well, it's not Greek. So you wouldn't say it like Gyrus. <laughs> uh, that's what that I was saying. That's all that they could, is that all that they could uh, <laughs> rule out? Just that it's not Greek? I think eventually the conclusion was Gyrus. But I guess there's no reason why it can't be Gyrus. Yeah. I mean, if it means anything, whether or not there was actually, like, a real way to say it, I'd still say Gyrus. That's all I need to know. So, uh, two people can't be wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the fail-safe system around here. Yeah. Anyway, it's, as I mentioned, AD... 2500 and mankind has penetrated the galaxy's fringes establishing colonies of peace from mercury all the way to pluto (laughs) suddenly the tranquility of the milky way erupts into a frothing fury as armadas of alien death ship swarms those are their words i'm not coming up with anything playful here these alien death ship swarms invade our solar system like killer bees preying on an innocent bystander You'll notice that none of these alien ships in the game look like killer bees. So now the like the manual's really getting into the nitty-gritty of it. See, I don't even see that in my manual. I think I'm reading off the arcade manual. I think that's Oh, right. okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh they mentioned that no one is spared by these killer bee death ship swarms. Even beloved Mother Earth is stung. 
these vicious <laughs> cosmic Visigoths uh, are war-starved Gerasons, uh, and <laughs> and they're led by the immortal Genghis Khan, whom they recruited from Mongolia centuries ago. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible. So that is okay because in 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 the other manual it just says Genghis Khan, and I thought maybe like oh, there's a guy who took that name. Uh, you know, out of inspiration in the future or something. They mention it just briefly that a picture of Genghis Khan appears, and that's <laughs> not not just all... a picture though, a neo revolutionary portrait. portrait. <laughs> yeah, of Genghis Khan. <laughs> and I don't and really it... <laughs> understand because the picture doesn't really look like Genghis Khan, and why it's neo revolutionary, I'm not sure. But it's it also great. just like del- it like delivers that in the manual as like part of the instructions. Yeah, it's, it's like when op- when the opening screen appears displaying a neo-revolutionary portrait of the savage Genghis Khan, press start. <laughs> yeah, That's I love literally it. what it it's says. How to save the universe, and then no backstory, and it's just when you see the picture of Genghis Khan, press start. <laughs> I also like that they chose Genghis Khan as like the big reveal that like, oh no, he didn't ever die or lose. Actually, he was recruited yeah. by, he was so good that he was recruited by these aliens centuries ago just to wait to strike once the, like, because Earth wasn't enough for him. He needed the entire solar system to conquer. It's incredible. Also, shout out to the use of the word zaptifying, uh, describing <laughs> how many mm-hmm. stages there are. I don't know if that's a word or even if it was a word, if it has any meaning, but it's great. I believe there's 39 zaptifying stages, right? Absolutely. That's, that's correct. So, uh, with our galactic fleet flattened, you're the lone space cowboy. Again, their words, but I love that. Uh, you're the lone space cowboy who escaped the gyrus shroud of doom. Perfect. I'm in. I'm hooked. Yeah. Sometimes we're like, you know, there's not enough investment in the story or the plots of these games to like, understand what's going on i feel like this was the right level of absurdness meets like hell yeah attitude for me <laughs> that i was like i want to beat the game like i want to take down genghis Khan and reclaim the solar system yeah i mean now that you've given me like an an extra piece of deep lore uh that we didn't get with the nes manual uh i'm, I'm definitely down for it like just what's in the nes manual uh it feels like a drunken rambling but when you give that context uh, that's not in the actual manual. It, it definitely works better. Yeah, the manual has some a little bit of attitude in the beginning. Like when it's saying what the planets are, it says, uh, for those of you who flunked astronomy, those planets are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Right? Which is good. Those are the planets. But you don't start on Earth or Pluto. You start on Neptune, or you start by approaching Neptune. You got to figure that maybe you were based in Neptune, and then it was like, oh, right, right, Pluto is a planet now again in, <laughs> in 2500. Like, right, right, I got to go back and save that too. And then you go the other way. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Maybe what they're saying is that uh, because the uh, elliptical orbit of Pluto uh, actually intersects the the orbit of Neptune in 2500 AD, Pluto will be within Neptune's orbit. Can you explain everything just in that <laughs> voice going forward? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, but before we get too deep into where you go in this game and what you do, I feel like we do need to explain that this isn't uh, the shmups like Life Force and uh, and Gradius and stuff. This is a little different 
kind of like uh, Tempest, but with some visual flair to it other than vectors. Joe, do you want to give a good stab at explaining what you do in this game? Yeah, because at, at my first thought, I was like, oh, this is different. And then like, you know, a couple seconds in, I was like, wait a minute, this is a shmup. Like it tricked me at first because it's, 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 it looks <laughs> like you're going forward. You know, it looks like it's, it looks like it's like, um, I don't know, like a more modern, like rails shooter <laughs> that's like in 3D space. But what it really is, is kind of a shmup that's been, that's been rolled up into a cylinder. So instead of going yeah. side to side on the screen, you kind of roll around the outside of the screen as, as the stars come at you and all your enemies come at you. And it is actually kind of cool. It's a nice little change of pace. Um, but that gives you all kinds of different things to think about, like the fact that you can't shoot across the screen because you're shooting into the center of the screen, which is like further in Z space. So I, I thought that that was actually a nice little, uh, a nice little refreshing touch on, on schmucks. Yeah, I, I very much appreciated that they, they did something unique with the presentation. Um, and I guess all that you need to keep me from, getting bored is to uh make it a circle so uh, i also <laughs> thought that it, it it was a refreshing shmup exactly yeah i i think it really changes the way you think about your movement and like zigzagging is a lot different and it has different implications in this than it does in a typical shmup and the fact that you also can't move forward and backward i think is interesting too yeah, so you're really, you're going around in a circle here, and I think we should talk about that decision a little more of being able to only control your ship in a circle, because they do give you two different control choices, control A or control B. The difference being control A, you actually use all four uh, D-pad buttons, so this way, as you make your way around the circle, you have to switch between using the left D-pad, the up button, the, the right uh, and then control B is only using left and right. And at times that can get tricky too, because you might be at like, um, you know, three, you might be at three o'clock and now all of a sudden left suddenly might feel different than going right. If you were locked in that space for a second, yeah. so you do have to kind of keep track of where you are. Did, did you guys have a preference control A control B? I'm actually surprised that they made control A, which is the more context based uh control scheme, uh that they made that like the first choice. Um be- I guess like now, whenever I don't I can't even think of a game in which this is sort of like you're always going around in a circle, but um I would assume that it would be this control B where you just move left and right and depending on where you are on the screen, that's gonna move you uh, clockwise or counterclockwise. I I prefer Control B, uh, because it's sort of got like it just has that one rule: clockwise or counterclockwise. Um, though I guess Control A may make more sense to some people that like it's more of like an absolute uh direction. Um, but yeah, definitely Control B for me. Yeah, I I tried um Control B first and. And I liked it, but I, you know, it, it did get confusing when uh, a little bit until you get used to it. When, um, you know, right—I I don't remember which one's which—but let's say right takes you clockwise and left takes you counterclockwise. Suddenly, when you're at the top of the screen, that feels reversed. It's not, but it feels when you hit right, suddenly it feels like you're going left. Or well, you are going left, but you're going to the ship's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would get confusing once in a while. So I thought, okay, let me let me start over and I'll try it with Control Scheme A, um, because then I can just 
press the direction that I want to end up in. If I want to end up on the left side of the screen, no matter where I am on the screen, I can press left and it'll take me towards that side of the screen. Um, and I liked it for a minute, but I, I pretty quickly went back to the first control screen scheme because I think the problem for me with control, control scheme A is that it's harder to be fluid, like to have fluid motion. Because if, if you press up, once you reach the uppermost point of the screen, you do an abrupt stop in any direction that you're going. So that kind of, uh, while while the other the other control scheme might have a little more of a learning curve, I think you have much more of a handle over it with that. Yeah, it's essentially the same like argument for like if you're playing like an old school uh, survival horror, not not quite as old school as Friday the Thirteenth, but uh, like Resident Evil, um, where whether you're doing tank controls, which again it's just clockwise or counterclockwise. Or if you're doing like absolute directionality of whatever, uh, uh, whatever camera angle you have, I think it's sort of you, you run into the same problems with both, where uh, you can get turned around basically uh, with the uh, with the tank controls, but it is, it's basically more uh, consistent, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you guys see the same similarities there. You know, I think that's all that all makes sense to me. I was a Control B guy as well. Uh, but I also think, like, this might not have been just the best decision for a control scheme with a D-pad, you know? Like, like for a D-pad, it, it suffices. I don't know what they even did at the arcade, to be honest. But it feels like the actual correct way to play this game would be with a, like, a wheel, right? And just, yeah. spin, like, spinning around in a wheel to understand the direction at all times. And, like, that's something they could have done at the arcade, I suppose, but I don't think they did. That's kind of what I'm looking for, but I wonder, can you guys think of a better way to handle controlling yourself around the ship? It would take an analog sh- an analog stick, I think. <laughs> uh, if it's just going to be D-pad, I think it has to be one of these two situations. Yeah, I I don't know. I was also a Control-B guy. I tried to do Control-A for, for a while because I thought it was interesting that they have this kind of unique scheme. But sort of what everyone's been saying, it's a little bit too like, context dependent. Like if you're on this side of the screen, then up will send you up in this direction. But if you're on this side of the screen, up will send you up in the other direction. And it just got a little bit too confusing for muscle memory's sake for me. So I went back to A and B. But I, wasn't uh, Arkanoid or something the one that had a, a dial? It did have a dial. Yes, it had a dial controller. Yeah, I think that would be perfect for this game. I wonder if it would work. It's an NES controller. I feel I would love to try that. Oh, so Arkanoid came with a controller? It came it came on the NES with a dial controller that you could plug in and that's how you could play specific to Arkanoid, but I don't see why it wouldn't work if you plugged in. I mean, it only has one other button, so you wouldn't be able to use your uh, special power up, but you would be able to fire the blaster theoretically. Interesting. But maybe you wouldn't even be able to start the game. I don't know. I don't have that controller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think if they had made it if they had made it like that, but with a another button, I guess. Yeah, totally. An another interesting thing about being in in a circle, and I think Joe touched on this when he was explaining the game, is that the enemies they fly in mostly from the outside, some come directly from the center, uh, but when they fly from the outside as far as I could tell, they actually don't hurt you on their way in. Like, you can't accidentally be surprised by, like, a jump-scare alien ship that then, like, hits you immediately. Like, they get to fly into the center, 
And then as they get closer, as they work their way from the center back to you, that's when they're on the attack. But where they place themselves in the center matters because you're shooting into deep space. So you can't just be on like the left side and hit something on the right. You'll just shoot into the left side of deep space. You have to go over there and it's a little more precise than uh, what we're used to usually with shmups that are either horizontal or vertical because those you just shoot across the screen and if it ever makes contact, it makes contact. This, you're kind of shooting into a void. So I like the enemies can't hit you right off the bat and just, you know, take free lives from you. But there's also like this interesting challenge of not letting the enemies develop quick enough so that there's too many on a side or that things become overwhelming. Like you kind of have to attack them while they're far out because the closer they get back to the outer circle, the the tougher it's going to be for the player. Yeah, I think that if they uh, were to make you uh, like allowed to get hit as they're coming in, this that would have been a deal breaker to play this game at all. Um, uh, but no, I do I, I do like the idea of again it's sort of like a crowd control thing, um, but I guess a lot of shmups are like that. Where you you're just trying to make sure that they can't get back to you because there are a lot of enemy types that, um, at least later in the game, uh, make it pretty easy for them to get right up in your grill, um, and that's sort of what you're trying to avoid the whole time. There's also this weird design decision, though, that, like, and I don't know if it's because the game is an arcade game, so it's mostly based around points, but if you're not on the same, you know, plane as those enemies, let's say you're at the bottom of the circle and they're approaching from the top, they're just going to kind of continue to drift out into the corners of the screen until they are no more, and there's no penalty for missing them. Uh, You just don't get those points. But theoretically, you could do like a pacifist run where you don't really shoot at anything and just wait till everything enters the center of the screen and then clears back out. And then you'd be able to move on to the next uh, stage, which are referred to as warps in this game. I I think that that's a little weird, but can you confirm that? Uh, Have you tried? Have you to play a pacifist run or at least like for one level? Yes, I, I didn't do a complete, like, I did, I did shoot things, but I definitely was able to let a significant amount of things go by and then and move on to the next level. They don't just continue to spawn. Gotcha. It's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known because I was, uh, I was shooting stuff, but I, I was wondering if it was, like, it keeps going until you clear, or at least you kill this many enemies, but I guess, no, it's just on a timer. So that's Best I could tell, it's either a timer or a, a set pattern. You know, like the, like yeah. once it spawned the last one for that level, and, and granted mm-hmm. the levels do get a little bit longer, um, once it spawned that last one, that's like, that's it. And you either get the points or you don't. What wow. about the structures that come up in levels that are like mini bosses almost? That you Those have... you have to take care of. Yeah, right? Because they don't those. leave the center. Okay. So I wondered about what you were saying, too, about like, since other than those big structures that Sam just mentioned, can, you know, could you just go through the whole game and like, what's the penalty for not doing it? and uh, my thought on it is just that 
you you probably could do it, and you're probably gonna have, it's probably gonna be a harder game for doing that. So it, it doesn't feel like you're cheating by doing that. Like the reason my incentive for shooting as much as I could was to get things out of my way, you know, and I let things go by when they weren't bothering me. But usually I wanted to kind of clear things off the screen so it was never congested, you know. Yeah, and plus, so like, like, I, I think, think the more the more you kill, you get more ultra lasonic phaser boosters, which makes the bosses <laughs> easier. Right. And also, like, do you want to let Genghis Khan have that last laugh of, like, you didn't you didn't fight his fleet off? And anybody you let go by is just going to go back to Pluto and uh, and clear out that house because right. you're not there anymore. Right, yeah. Do you think that, like, if you let them go by, but then you wind up getting to Genghis Khan, that, like, that's it? Like, they're just going to give up? They're going to be like, ah, you know what, we're done taking over Pluto, actually. This, is, this, this war was for naught. Uh, yeah, I think there's an alternate ending, yeah. Yeah, they just keep going out into deep space. Like, they don't stop. Since we're talking uh, about the game here, I feel like we missed the the biggest thing, the, the eye-opening moment, for me at least, starting this game and hearing Takata and Fugue in D minor. Wow, that was impressive for NES sounds, but also just, like, really brought on the... Uh, they're like, okay, like, let's do this. Like, I am ready to take down this, uh, this dreadful fleet uh, of enemies. And then the rest of the music is pretty, is pretty playful and exciting. And the, you know, it's a fast boost of stuff. But I don't know, there was like an adrenaline kick to that, like, 8-bit version of Takata and Fugue. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I like the music. I didn't recognize it. I don't know how I didn't recognize it, but uh, it, it is very energetic. And Sam, you're telling me you felt nothing? When that song came on? When that song came on, you weren't like, whoa, that's that's awesome. I thought sounds, it was sounds awesome. I thought it was cool, but like my first reaction whenever I hear a song that is not there like whatever whatever the game it's not my first reaction when I hear a song that's not original and specific to the game is like, Oh, they just picked a different song. They didn't come up with one on their own. You know? And even For shame Konami. I mean a little bit. That's just how I react to it, because I feel like you have the chance to set the stage for this game. Like It's your game. You did the art. You did the, you know, the gameplay, the coding, all of it. Like, why would you use someone else's song in it? It just that seems a little weird to me. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of thought a little bit of that, especially honestly, particularly because it was such a recognizable song. And it's just so like it almost feels like a parody at this point, because that's like in everything that's supposed to be like ominous. It's like that it was maybe that choice that actually threw me off a little bit, but I'll say that I completely have that doesn't bother me at all because of how good I think the rest of the music is in this game. I think it's pretty good, yeah, there's something about the music in the game uh because it's so uh fast and fun it it complements the stage as well too, because we haven't talked about this, but the stages are pretty short bursts of enemies, and you can clear through warps pretty fast i I'd say it's like maybe a minute, minute and a half of total gameplay for a warp stage before you move on to the next one. And that was, like, really refreshing, that it wasn't, like, a, a five-minute-long stage and there's 39 of these and it's going to take forever. And granted, you know, do the math, it is still a very long game, but I liked how how quick and energetic it was at the start to allow you to flow. I think you can get from Neptune to Pluto relatively quickly. Yeah, I, I I appreciated that, and like the between planets, uh, which which basically are just uh, um, the boss battles, uh, they do sort of change up the 
I mean, the, the the basic gameplay doesn't change from level to level, but at least they they will throw different patterns at you, so it's not like a minute of one thing and then another minute of the exact same thing. Uh, it, they do some things to spice it up uh, between these like mini levels or warps, I guess. Um, but I guess they could have also just squished them all together, and it would have just been like nine or ten five minute long levels but I, I guess there's no reason to do one or the other but i did i did like the bite-sized nature of them i also think it was it was cool the way that they you know they they made you know a few levels between each planet but still the planets being like recognizable landmarks were like a nice little like bookmark for for you the player to like make you feel like you're making progress for sure yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think it's more about the progress in the decision to make it bite-sized. I don't think that's like something that would work for every game. Um, I think like Bionic Commando would be really weird if they were just like short one and a half minute levels, and then you just kept moving across. You're like, I'm doing something. You yeah. Know? You know, in games like that, it kind of does help to pad out the levels to make them feel more epic. This, uh, I don't know, something about like the way you clear out ships, the music, the um. You know, the speed at which you're moving at, too, around the circle to take care of the different enemies. It just felt like it worked really well for being bite-sized. And also, with the arcade nature of the game, just made everything feel like it was moving a lot quicker than it probably was. Because 39 stages is an awful large amount of stages. Yeah, and it's just nice to, like, while they have, like, the different stages between the planets, it's just nice to not necessarily just be like, all right, I'm on stage one and I'm about to be on stage two. It's like, I'm... I'm at Neptune. Like I can contextualize that, and it makes it feel a little cooler. Yeah, it feels more like a journey. Yeah. Um, I also think it's like if you die, and I, I, I don't know, in other games, going back to the beginning of a level is like a really like weighty penalty. And I didn't really die that much in this game, so I'm trying to think if that's the the penalty for a restart or a game over, but. Uh, just something you're asking of, when you get when you get hit, not when you get hit, but when you run out of lives. Then the whole game. Oh, I think over? when you run out of lives, I think that's game over. That's game over. Okay, then yeah. then I just never mind that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, but I also I also enjoyed the bite sized nature of it, and it does feel like you're progressing really well. I also appreciated that uh, it, it in the beginning. I, you can kind of see a pattern of what the bosses are like, where I think the first two are just, um, you know, blow up these little eyes and then you uh, you move on to another boss and it's just got more eyes that you have to blow up. Um, and they, they more or less stuck to that, but there were a few planets that uh, had something new. Like, uh, I think Earth, you fight three other spaceships that are kind of like you, but coming from the inside. And uh, I forgot what planet has um, a boss that's like an orb with arms. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that was, um, I think that's either the end of Pluto or the end of um, uh, Uranus. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that they didn't just, that they stick, they didn't just stick to the same, uh, the same skeleton for each boss, even though a lot of them are kind of the same, just with more bulbs. Well, would you be shocked if I told you that boss battles were added specifically for the NES version of this game? They didn't exist in the arcade. That I didn't know. 
The arcade version didn't have boss battles and also didn't have the Super Blaster. Uh, I don't know what you called it, Sean. You had a very fancy name for it. But that, that B button that does like a super powered attack that can kind of just kill enemies in one shot, that didn't exist in the arcade either. And I feel like that's very surprising that the NES got things that the arcade version didn't. So you're telling me that the arcade version only had the Neo-Teutonic Cannon or the Neo-Bomblastic Cannons? There was no Ultra Lasonic Phaser Booster? There were no Ultra Lasonic Phaser Boosters in... Can you imagine? Yes. (laughs) I know, Joe, the nerve of the arcade version to just be like, you know what, this is actually just a game. Well, you know what, because here's the thing. We haven't talked about it, but this arcade game is old. (laughs) <laughs> like, the NES is getting this game in 89, but I think it came out in, like, 83, the arcade, and was clearly doing, like, Tempest meets Galaga. So, uh, you know, they probably just didn't think that they needed much more than that, considering <laughs> what was successful at the time. But I think it's just wild to think that the, you know, we're always ragging on NES games for being like, well, you know, the arcade version, the graphics look better, and it has more going for it, and it's more fun. I don't know. Here, I'm actually shocked that, like, the NES version is, like, the feature-complete version of this game. It's ref- it's another... Uh, the, the, the word of the day is refreshing, that we're not playing the dregs. And we talked about saving the solar system as opposed to just some other made-up planets that the developers would make. And Sam, I think you said that felt like a journey. I I like that description because I do think that saving our solar system is is something important in terms of investment at this early on in video games that we haven't really seen, right? Like, sometimes you get World War II games or whatever, and those are like, you know, relive history in video games. But this is like... Sci-fi meets uh, grounded, uh, not reality, but groundedness in some kind of way, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't, I mean, I I guess so. If you don't read the manual, and especially if you don't have uh, the extra uh, appendix that you have, it just looks like you're shooting at aliens until at the very end you have to fight the sun. Uh, (laughs) The sun has like a tummy ache or something, and then you have to make it not hurt anymore and then at the end it just says uh, there is peace in the universe uh so i don't really know how grounded fighting the sun is but uh i i see what you're saying at least it's real places i like the idea that the uh, peace in the universe was just like a coincidence like you get to this you defeat <laughs> defeat the thing at the sun and it's like oh check it out there's peace in the universe i i also just like the fact that the like, ultimate goal of this is to save the sun <laughs> <laughs> well that's what was holding us back from peace right it's like we don't know it, but we actually have an evil sun now. You know how, like, in Majora's Mask, the moon is evil? Like, the sun in our reality is actually evil, and we just have to beat it in order to achieve world peace. No, yeah, no, maybe no. it's like the Mario sun. Oh, the angry sun. Yeah. Terrifying. But yeah, even in the manual, though, it says, ultimate victory will occur only after you free the solar system's life-regenerating <laughs> sun. So it's basically saying that they're holding the sun hostage. And I feel like it's got some, uh, uh, what's that, what's that, uh, Stockholm Syndrome. It's like the, the sun fights you. I don't appreciate that. 
So there is a there is a lack of power ups in this game. That's usually what we talk about when we talk about shmups. I don't even know if the dual blaster thing even counts as a power up. You get it almost immediately, and then it's like, does it is it even more powerful? Like what? Now it takes like half as many shots. I doubt it. It felt it felt like it was not doing anything at all. So what do you think? Like, should there have been power ups that make it so this way you can shoot from you know different like. I don't even know what you would do because you're going on a cylinder here, but like, could you shoot in a spread or shoot from behind you or a laser that could go across the center and actually hit those things over on the other side? Would that just have made the game too easy? Did you not care the power-ups weren't on there? Somebody saved me from talking too much. I was just going to say, I think that it, it, it could have been cool to have more power-ups. I do think that they'd have to increase the difficulty, but it'd be nice to see... I don't even know what it is, but once in a while you hit something and like two little two little stars come out and they spiral yeah, around the outside. You, you just said exactly two <laughs> points I was about to exactly say. Uh, we should have just said them together. We should, we exactly. Just said in them unison, in unison. But yeah, I think that this game is really on the easier end of the shmups that we've played. Um, so it would definitely need a difficulty spike to, to need power up. And yeah, I also thought that that was going to do something. I thought that that was going to be like, that's just a special way to get stuff on the opposite side of the screen, but I think it was just for flair. Yeah. So it seems oh, like you're a missed about, opportunity. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about the thing that, that goes around in the center, those two dots, and then hit, connects with you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's when you get a level those up. Give you, you those give you the super blaster. Yeah, those give you the dual Neobomb blastic cannons. Yes. But, but the visual, the visual element of it makes it look like it's supposed to hurt things oh yeah yeah sure <laughs> yeah. sure right and it also it just like shows us that great that they can do that so like why not make a bullet that does that <laughs> yeah exactly but to answer your question those come from the the mines so you'll see these little sets of they look like jacks almost and there will sometimes be a little object in the middle of them and if you hit the object in the middle of them that's what releases those two little things and that will give you the the dual blasters Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. See, I, I like that. I like that context. I wish I had noticed that because it, it kind of makes it a little... It's nice that it yeah. wasn't just, and yeah, that, pick up this power-up. That kind of goes into, or for me, that kind of goes into this issue that I have with the game a little bit, which is that because of the nature, they, because they want to show that you're traveling forward through space, they have the background kind of coming at you a little bit, but that's also how all the like the projectiles travel at that same speed and sometimes for me i found that i got the projectiles a little bit confused with the, the objects in the background so it it just yeah, I can seems see that. it seems a little busy and so when those things come around it i i don't know i i think it'd be interesting to see more objects behave that way whether it's things that fire at you or you have to outrun things on the outside that are fire are I think I said the opposite of what I meant to say. You firing those at enemies or having to outrun projectiles that the enemies fire at you that behave that way to a certain point. Yeah, it would have definitely changed up. And to your point about the, the them looking confusing because they look like the kind of the stars that are coming at you. I think one thing they could have done to make it a little easier is make all the stars one color. The stars are like a multi it looks like a pop tart. Like it's just like a multicolored like uh, I think a sprink- sprinkles coming at you. So then, when like a projectile comes at you, it kind of blends in because no matter what color it is, like there are a couple stars around that are that same color, moving the same direction at the same speed. 
Well, you should be dodging the stars, too. Just get good. Oh, right, right. I should. So, 39 stages. Uh, chance stages, which are kind of like no consequence, shoot all the enemies and get points. Boss battles. And uh, traveling across the nine different planets. Plus a boss fight with the sun, as John mentioned. Is, is there enough here for you guys? to continue to play through the entire game, regardless of, you know, whether you're good enough to get there, did this game, with everything that it has in it right now, hold your attention, or were you hoping for more as the game went on? It, it's it's pretty low content uh, compared to what we've been playing recently. I think this would fit better in the early days, like 86. This would sort of uh, be more... Um, uh, among its peers in terms of like how much content is in the game. We did get more uh, than what was in the arcade version, uh, but no, I still think that it's it's not quite a full-priced game, uh, if we're going by that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, like that, I do I do think I would have seen it differently early on, um, but also, I mean, I've, I've got to say, I'm just not the, I'm just not the guy to, to tell you, you know, like I'm like me personally, no, it didn't hold my attention, but that doesn't mean I think it was bad or wouldn't hold anyone's attention. Probably someone who likes shmups would would really enjoy it, but uh, that's why I find these games so much harder to judge, just because of my personal opinion on, on shmups, you know, is is not particularly positive. Which doesn't mean that I think that the game is bad for everyone. It's just not just my not my cup of tea. I think that the the gameplay loop is good though. And even though there's not a lot of variation, the main thing that you do in this game feels good to do over and over. And the fact that it's in these little bite-sized bits helps a lot, and I think that helps make you want to go more, because you know, oh, it's just this much until I get there, and this much until I get to the bonus stage, and, and uh, chance stage, and a chance to increase my weapons if, let's say, I just died or something. Uh, and... I, I don't know. I, I feel like there isn't a lot in it, but it still it still makes you want to play just a little bit more, and then that kind of becomes a little bit addictive. And also, yeah, it's not Pac-Man mow your lawn levels of satisfying, but there is something satisfying <laughs> about clearing things out from the center and the short-bursted nature of the game. Yeah, I, I, I think it did give me that satisfaction for a little while and, give me, and, and make me want to keep going. But I think that the loop being repetitive, which is fine, but combined with the difficulty never really seeming to get that much harder, didn't kind of made it so about halfway through the game. I was like, well, that was fun, and it was fun being repetitive for about half the game. Maybe it would have gotten better in the second half, but but for me personally, I was like, okay, like I don't think I need to keep going. It's funny because I would say past Saturn, all of a sudden the game does that thing that most people hate, where all of a sudden it just gets a lot more difficult um and i i don't know if i i wouldn't say it became like an an incredibly hard game it was no ghost and goblins or anything it just for some reason after saturn felt like to me all of a sudden i was actually dying i actually had to be like oh i'm probably gonna run out of lives like uh there's just something about that moment that i remembered and i didn't i never beat the game in its entirety just because of the difficulty picking up not because of me not wanting to beat it yeah, I think that was more of like a, a difficulty plateau. Like, there's only really two or three difficulty levels in this game. Like, after Saturn is definitely one of them. And I think once you hit Earth, 
things get a little more dicey, but it's it's much more it, it's a much uh gentler gradient than I'm used to. And I, I guess usually I'm complaining about these games being too hard, but I, I think that this hasn't quite hit that middle level of challenge. Um because I was able to beat the game. I was losing lives, but I was able to beat it, which is weird for a shmup for me. <laughs> well, that's awesome, and that's why you know so much about the sun battle. <laughs> oh, the sun's in that game? Oh, the sun says that. Alright, uh, development time. I have a small little anecdote here about Gyrus. It is the second and last game that Yoshiki Yakamoto designed for Konami. Now, that, that might be like, okay, who's that? Why does that matter? Apparently, Akamoto got into pay disputes with Konami over the game and then was fired after the release of this game. So as retaliation, he joined rival company Capcom, where he went on to make 1942 and then produced Street Fighter 2. So I think Konami took a loss there, if you you know, over the what they potentially should have paid him for this game, only for him to go on and make two amazing franchises for Capcom. Wow, so he was like Kojima before Kojima. Well, he wasn't the designer of Street Fighter 2, but you know, anybody who's involved in the, you know, in the making of Street Fighter 2 is is kind of a big deal, right? Like you're, yeah. you're creating an entire genre and community that's worth who knows how many millions of dollars today for sure and then for sequels and spinoffs you know it's interesting many many ports of this game but no true successor there's no gyrus 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 anything <laughs> they, you know gyrus. i figured they could change it yeah they could finally change it to be the other ways of spelling it <laughs> there's none of that um and then there's also just no like spiritual successor either so instead, I just want to talk about a couple interesting things on the port side. For the PlayStation 1, Gyrus was actually hidden inside of Contra Legacy of War. There was like a, a specific way you could unlock Gyrus. And I'm like, well, wow, that's a weird game to include in <laughs> Contra Legacy of War, but whatever. So you can play it on that. And apparently it's a, it's a pretty good port on the PlayStation 1. In the Game Boy Advance version, if you put in the Konami code, Instead of having it with, like, the GBA graphics, you get a retro-ified version of the game that also includes three new warp levels at the start of the game before you then go on to play the rest of the game. That feels strange, but I think they knew that nobody was going <laughs> to play through the entire game and then get the three bonus stages. Yeah. So, like, just put them up front. That's a good, that's a good job there. Yeah, but, I mean, if, if people, if that got out, people would have incentive to play the game a second time. Replay value. Yeah, I mean, people do that all the time for the Mario games, right? Like, you'll buy um, Super Mario Brothers 1 for who knows, like, the, the fifth or sixth time, and then it'll turn out like, uh, yeah, if you beat the game on um, uh, eight times in a row, like, it'll unlock Super Mario Brothers 2 Japan, and people are like, what? No way. Like, and then they go do it. <laughs> um, Xbox 360 Arcade, not it didn't come out for like Xbox 360. It just came out on that arcade platform. If you guys remember that deal, uh, it was download only. You need an online connection. That is the same exact game, but with updated graphics that, in my opinion, have now 
aged pretty poorly even just uh two console generations later so i don't know if i would recommend that one but it also came there so it went to everything pretty much i didn't list off the other 14 consoles but neat to see that this game continues to get some life from konami yeah uh i can't really see how a space game that is this sort of bare bones can look that bad on the xbox but i'll look up some uh i'll, I'll look up some screenshots Oh, it's not even that it looks bad, though, right? Because it's like it, they updated the graphics, so it's just like, why? You know, like, at that point, just release the original, like, arcade version to Xbox 360 Arcade. Like, that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to see if this game has some life of its own, since it never got any uh, sequels or spinoffs, when we decide whether it's on the Essential Games list. All right. It's time for the essential games list where uh, we're still in that essential drought where there hasn't been a single essential game in 1989. And I think every episode, somebody's like, you know, that game should have been essential. Bandai Golf Challenge Pebble Beach should have been essential. <laughs> but, you know, I think that we've been doing an OK job so far uh, policing the neighborhood and making sure that the right games get on. So let's take a look at. Gyrus and try to figure out whether or not it's going to be on the essential games list. Sam? Oh, starting with me. Okay. Um, so going into this, I was pretty sure that I wanted to make this game essential because I, I thought it was it did something different that I haven't really seen a lot of games do. And I can't really think of a game that's like this. And it had a fun feedback loop and it was polished and had great music and all this stuff. But I think that there's just a little bit lack of a little bit of a lack of substance that would be required for me to feel comfortable actually voting it essential. I think we need something like a little bit more variance for it, but it was really close for me. But I think if you like uh, shooters like uh, shmups and especially retro ones, then definitely give this one a try. All right, Joe. So I kind of touched on it prematurely uh, earlier in the episode, but I have a hard time with shmups. I, like, well, not not just with playing shmups, but with voting for shmups. I did enjoy this game, but but I wonder, did I not enjoy it enough just because I'm not a shmup guy, or did I not enjoy it enough because it's because it's lacking? And I I do think that in the end, as much as I think this is a great game, I don't think that necessarily means that it's a must for today. Uh, and, and I, and I do think, especially now after, after I played it, I kind of was like looking around on, uh, like what people think about this game. And I, and I do think that this probably will be one if, if, uh, if it doesn't get on, which it looks like if I'm voting it, no, then I guess it can't, but, uh, we probably will get some, some messages. So I, I'm not saying I'm not open to reconsidering in the best of 89 in like 30 years when we get there. But I, right now I, I, I'm kind of with Sam. I, I liked it a lot. I think it was great, but I, I just don't think. I don't think there's anything about it that's going to make me think like I want to come back to this over some of the other options we've had or or even just at all. Um so yeah, it's tough. Sorry if that's a little vague or uh non-committal, but it's it's hard for me to do it with schmucks. That's fine, that's fine. Sean, give us your vote. Uh yeah, I'm kind of with Sam where I'd say that this is lacking uh some substance. I think that if it were if there was a little bit more variety in power up and a little bit 
more difficult to accommodate for the increase in power that you have, um, maybe this would be one of my favorite shmups. Uh, but right now, it's it's kind of um, it's lacking in that regard. So I'm also going to say that this is on. This is not essential. All right, three no's so far, but seems seems kind of close. I will say, my mind was pretty much made up before we recorded the episode. We talked some things through, and I think that where I landed is exactly where uh, I was after I finished playing this game uh, yesterday. Something about this game, it reminds me of, you hear about games like Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, uh, you know, those are really famous arcade games that, you know, you can't get enough praise about them. But they're kind of like spoiled for you in a way because you either experience them at a very young age or you just know enough about them. So when by the time you get to them, there's not like, you didn't get that special hook, you know? Like everybody has seen how Donkey Kong is done, everybody's seen how Pac-Man is played. So even if you're playing it for the first time, it doesn't feel as special. Something about Gyrus here felt really special to me as I was playing it, especially as an arcade game. And knowing that the NES version, after playing the arcade version too, knowing that the NES version is like just an overall better version of an arcade game, something that we didn't ever think was possible uh, when we started talking about, you know, oh, well, this would go on our essential arcade games list, but it can't go on the essential NES games list. This really feels like to me it deserves to be on the essential games list because it's 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 not even a shmup to me it's just it's just an arcade game it's just arcade fun it's just it's silly it's short it's sweet it's enough to keep me hooked on that i wish i could have beat the game like i wanted to be good enough to beat the game and i wanted to keep going back to it but it's also something that i could see myself just being like well if i can only make it to saturn like who cares anyway i'll do that like i'll just play through that i wasn't trying to keep track of my my score at any time and I wasn't also trying to keep track of my progress like I just liked the the short bursted nature of the game in many ways for me the closest thing I can think of for NES games is that this is like balloon fight you know uh people continue to ask me why is balloon fight on the essential games list like why does Mike love this game so much it's just enough simplicity just meets raw fun you know like balloon fight is always going to be fun to me and i think gyrus will show that to me as time goes on that this will be a game i continue to go back to and i'm just amazed that i never experienced anything like it before and i know that's crazy right like we played you know 20 years of video games since then i'm not saying that this created a new genre or anything i really think that this game just opened my eyes to an experience for an arcade game that I didn't think I could have after experiencing so many arcade games. So for that reason, Gyrus has to go on the Essential Games list for me. I think this NES version is better than the arcade version, and so I really don't have any complaints putting it on there. Wow. Well, I'm sorry we disappointed you. But you know what? It was close. It was close. We'll see. We'll see what happens in Best of 89. But I think in the meantime, I think everybody gave solid answers for why or why not they couldn't yeah. put it on the list. And that's it, what this is all about at the end of the day. And it stays a play it. <laughs> it stays a play it, right. And you know what I like, thought about recently, a little non sequitur here, though? We, we have our essential games list, which are the games that you should play. And then if it doesn't make the essential games list, it becomes a play it, which are the <laughs> games that you should play. So, like, you know, it's fun to have the essential games, but you can still play whatever, you know, whatever. whatever play it is an unofficial designation. So. <laughs> I know. Right. There's no, there's nowhere you can find those list of games on purpose. Essential is, I like the, the golden, golden play-its. Then there's the golden play-its, and then there's the play-its. 
<laughs> yeah, where does Gyromite fall on that list? <laughs> it's a Gyromite bronze. Is... <laughs> just, in, yeah, it's just bronze. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think we can all kind of agree that this is, uh, you know, one of the nicer surprises of 1989 so far. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I don't think any of us knew this game going into it. Am I right? I had no idea what this was before I played it. I did not. I didn't either. No, I'd never heard of it. I also did not. That's just going to keep <laughs> happening, you know? We'll see We'll see what surprises us next, but, you know, we've got, we've got good games coming up, like another arcade classic, Q-Bert, is our, is our next game of the week. So, uh, guys, Q-Bert, any love for the little orange man? I appreciate Q-Bert. I've never actually played it, so it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. Same here. And I'm just looking down the list for, like, what's the next game that would just surprise us? And I think it would have to go to Mystery Quest because that's just vague enough that nobody could have any idea what that is about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what is Mystery Quest? I'm guessing it's going to be a, uh, uh, it's going to have some first person parts in it, but that's just a guess. I think it's going to be like Gumshoe. <laughs> <laughs> a one of a kind game as well. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for this episode of Nostalgia. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, next week, as I mentioned, we'll have Qbert and then Tech Mobile. And then finally, a real RPG, Ultima 3 Exodus. So keep keep it here because we've definitely got a lot more coming. We have that game jam, which you can hear more about in our post show right after uh, Sam's awesome uh, ending song, which is kind of like the intro song, but just the second half of that, which is... It feels more like an ending. Do it that way. Yeah, it feels more... Uh, Fanatic? Is that no? That's not a word. It has uh, more finality. I'm a fanatic. Finality? Yeah, it has some finality to it. There you go. I'm a fanatic for Sam's music. I'm the Philly fanatic. He pisses off a lot of people, and so do you. So that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you can always find Nostalgia at NostalgiaCast on Twitter. You can find me, Michael Esposito, at Esposito Film on Twitter, and we'll be talking to you real soon. And it's a very exciting day here for Nostalgia, whether you listen at 8 in the morning or, uh, you know, 11 p.m. As long as you're listening on Friday, March 19th, the date we released this episode, this is also the day that we started our Nostalgia Game Jam uh, with, uh, you know, listeners from all over joined in. And uh, some of them are going to make some really cool games, but I don't know anything about making games. So I'm actually going to throw this over to Sam, who could explain what our Game Jam uh, you know, like how that process goes on and what these next two weeks are going to be like. So Sam, why don't you take it away? All right. Well, it's not quite two weeks that this this lasts. So that's but... why I already threw it to you. I just, I knew I couldn't handle the stress of explaining <laughs> it. So the Game Jam goes from March 19th, which is today, if you're listening to this on Friday the 19th, until March 28th, which I believe is the following Sunday, uh, next Sunday, at 11 p.m. And during that time period, the goal is to create, to conceptualize, and then program, and then publish a game that looks like it could have been an NES game. So it should, all the games will be in 
256 by 240 resolution. They should all sound like an NES, and the control scheme should reflect the NES controller in some capacity, whether that's, you know, wh- however you want to map the controls, there should be a D-pad, start, select, and an A and B button somehow incorporated into it. Uh, and that's about it. We're also going to have an optional theme that I guess at this point will be announced. And if you are making game, I guess this is, if, you, if you're listening to this and you say like, wow, I'm not doing anything this weekend, that sounds great. Then you can go over to itch.io uh, and look at the game jam section, and it'll be going on. You can sign up right away. That sounds jammerific. There we go. Uh, I think we got one. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, if you want to just check out the game jam and just kind of stay tuned on it, these uh, people will be submitting their games so you can play them and see what you think of them. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to play the games once the Game Jam is over, and then we're going to talk about them on a special episode of the podcast. And it's going to be super fun. And I think that's about it. I agree with all of that. And now that we have Joe's sign-off, there's nothing else we can do except uh, wait until the fabled March 28th, if it, assuming it happens this year. And if it does, that's when the jam will end, and we'll start diving into these games, and we'll give you an episode. When? Can't say for certain. Soon, absolutely. But what really is soon in the concept of time? You'll just have to keep listening to Nostalgia every Friday at 8 a.m. specifically. We want, we're going to start deleting the episodes at 9 a.m., so make sure you save them fast. I kid, of course. Nothing gets deleted. Everything is forever. And so is Nostalgia. So keep checking in and keep listening and enjoy uh, your week or whatever you do 